0: So, here we are again. Um we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. Um but I encouraged you last week I invited everybody last week to um to read through um the book of Philippians um and to uh maybe jot down some questions or or thoughts or ideas and send some things and I had several people send me uh some some questions uh about about the book. Um so And I want to address I want to address one of them in specific um, as we're we were talking about this. But I want to I want to also show you something. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share the screen for a second. As I've mentioned this before, um, but I wanted to kind of go over so you could see it. Uh, Let me see if I can find where I'm going. Here it is. All right. So here is here is uh the message page um, from the website. And you can see when you go to the message page you can see um, the most recent sermon in my incredibly um, closed eyed mug um, but uh but you can you can see that the la- most recent sermon is highlighted, and every sermon has this discuss button and when you click on that discuss button, um, there's often uh questions that I've kind of thrown out and and asked about that, and then some of the background depending because this was the first sermon in a series. I put some background in there. So there's quite a bit of information there. Um, some of the things that I brought up, some of the historical things that I brought up um, and, uh, and then a reconstruction of the ancient city, which gives you a uh, kind of idea. And I mentioned particularly this last week, I mentioned the structure of an ancient epistle. Um, and so I put that in there so you could see, this is how most of the time these epistles were written. Um, and, uh, and the, uh, the names for them and what they represent and all that stuff. Um, and then I had a couple of questions for discussion. Um, and I'm trying to, trying to do that every week, uh, so that we have, uh, we have, uh, um, um, and, uh, kind of something that we can be discussing and we can be rolling over. But one of the things that came up in the email was the definition of, uh, the words grace and, and peace in verse two. And I think that was a great question because um, as somebody who spends i spend my life studying this stuff, I tend to assume people have the same definitions of words that I do um, and this is just this is true of anybody in a, a vocation I mean, how many times you sat in the doctor's office and the doctor used a word that to him is common parlance and you have no idea what he's talking about you know and you and so um, and these are words that grace is a word that is used, uh, a lot, you know, I mean, we use it, uh, right. Well, let's, let's say grace, right. Or, or, um, oh, you know, he was so graceful talking about, a a you know, a, an ice skater or a gymnast. Oh, it was so graceful, you know? So what does, what did biblically, what does the word grace, what does the word peace mean? And I, and I'm going to put these up with the sermon. Um, but, uh, I think, I think that Paul, who was a Torah observant Jew um, and very, very versed very in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, when he uses things like this, grace and peace, he actually means something more than the Greek word that we read. So so often you'll hear a Bible teacher, they'll say, well, this is, this is the word grace, and it means this in Greek. Well, remember that Greek is not Paul's first language. Um, so Greek is his technical language, and he's very good at it. But his heart language will always be a Semitic language, Hebrew, Aramaic. When Paul uses grace, and I could be wrong, and he'll probably correct me, but I think when Paul uses uh, grace um, in the New Testament, he is he is using he's translating the Hebrew word hesed. Um, and the great definition of hesed is when he who has everything gives me, uh, he who he who owes me nothing. Gives me everything, and that is really the definition of grace. Grace is that God, who has everything and owes me nothing, gives me everything that I need. And so every blessing in our lives is grace. You know, God providing for us something that that we don't deserve, um, but He provides for us. Um, and so, and and the again, the Hebrew word is chesed, um, it's, it's, appears in the Old Testament quite a bit. Um, usually translated as loving kindness, but it's also tra- it's translated as mercy. It's got, a, nobody really knows. We don't really have a word in English to translate it perfectly. And then the, the word peace when, when Paul says, um, in verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Again, the Greek word for peace, it's, it's irony, uh, or irony um but he's not talking greek peace he's talking hebrew peace he's talking jewish peace and in in the hebrew bible in hebrew the word peace is shalom um and it's the second half of the word jerusalem jerusalem means um the last part of it is peace and um people talk about peace they say well it's the absence of conflict peace is comfort peace is a feeling peace is you know are you at peace with something um, but scripturally, what we find peace really means is it is the state of comfort that we receive from knowing we are in the will of God. So we can be in conflict and still be at peace. You, you can be in the midst of the storm and still be at peace. And, and Jesus even, he uses a moment. He uses nature as a, as a, a, a teaching tool at one point when he's sleeping in the boat and there's a, a storm raging on the sea of Galilee and the disciples are in a frenzy and they wake him up and he stands up and Jesus says Jesus says peace. He says, shalom. He calls the world to peace, not because, not because um, you know, it was out of his control, but rather that the disciples need to know that if you're in a storm, what better place than to be than to be in the boat with Jesus you know and and he need they needed to know he was their prince of peace so grace when he from whom i deserve nothing gives me everything and peace the the state of comfort in the will of god and so when paul greets the church and says grace to you and peace he is not granting them something he is making a statement of reality for them to be reminded of it's a memorial statement it's a it's a statement of this is something you already know you have grace and peace and um and we uh as as believers we live um we live in the intersection of God's righteousness and his mercy we need grace because we're sinners and we need peace because we are, um, in a, in a sense, we're trying to live in a world that is contrary to everything that we're trying to be as followers of Christ. And so our forgiveness, our salvation, everything is at the intersection. And grace and peace is what makes us being able to, makes us able to live in the midst of what we live in the midst of. And it is, it is entirely God. And then, and so grace is entirely God and peace is entirely my acceptance that it is entirely God, right? And so that's how we're able to live. So that's, that's why I think Paul uses those words. I could be wrong. I could get to heaven and he could tell me that I was incorrect. Um, and there are, there are all kinds of different, you know, interpretations of those words. And like anything in any language, um, there's something called semantic domain. And that means that a word can be used in a wide variety of things. And grace and peace are two Greek words that I think sometimes are used to translate different ideas coming from the Hebrew, coming from the mindset of the the believer, the disciples, you know? And so, so in this case, I think that's what he means because he's making a greeting, but it doesn't always, it's not always a translation of Hesed. Grace is also a translation of some other ideas um, in Hebrew. So is peace. But um, anyway, so that's, That's that. Um, and I encourage, I encourage you guys. Obviously, I can't get to every question if there's lots of them, but, um, but go ahead and when you're reading and you're studying, you're going through the scriptures, I encourage you ask questions, discuss it, dive into it, dig into it. Um, have your, have your thoughts and ideas. Um, and then, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit, um, and I would say write them down, um, because we may not be get them, able to get them all the time, but, we're going to hit um, the next few verses in Philippians, and then we're going to next week. Next week, we're going to take a few minutes at the beginning, because next week is the first Sunday of May. Um, and we're going to take a few minutes um, before we observe the Lord's table to just kind of reflect on the book of Philippians together. Um, so just like we do our prayer requests, have some minutes to say, oh, you know, hey, I was I read this and I was thinking about this. and And really give us a chance to, after a couple of weeks to really take some time and reflect on the book. Um, so, um, so I encourage you, well, I'll remind you of that coming up, you know, we'll make sure that we know that, but, but we want to, we want to be able to, we want to be able to take the time, um, to do that. So before we go to the scriptures, before we go, um, into the book of Philippians, um, and we start with verse three, uh, I, I'd ask you to just join me with, join me in a word of prayer, uh, real quick, um, as we come together and, and worship together. Um, and I wonder if Dr. Delisi, if you're, lurking there in the in the the weeds somewhere um if you'd be willing to lead us in a word of prayer on just a second doc you're muted i'll get you uh Won't let me unmute you. There you go, you're up now. Thank you, Father, again for giving us this privilege to be able to gather together, even though we are remote and apart from each other. Your word, your son, is the center of our lives. We thank you for the opportunities that you have presented to us, for the rejoicing we can have, for all that you do on our behalf. Now prepare our hearts to receive from the ministry of your word the lessons, the insights, and the direction we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. May you be glorified through all that is done. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's, let's take a look at... Philippians chapter one and verse three. So this is the beginning of uh, Paul's introduction. He's he's introducing, um, he's going to to begin by making some personal notes and discussing um, how he's praying for the church. Um, So let's just begin in verse three. And this is Paul speaking to the church. Anytime you see the word you, it's plural. So he's speaking to a group of people. both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So this is Paul. Um, verses, verses 3 to 8 are Paul talking about how he's praying. And verses 9 through 11 will be what he is praying. And I think that he's very intentional. Paul is very intentional um, in his act of thankfulness. And I want to give you a, a a quick, easy definition of what it means to be thankful, because to be thankful, we always talk about, you know, oh, give thanks and be thankful. And we tell our kids to be grateful. Um, thankfulness is active gratitude. It's not just, oh, you know, thank you, God, for all that I have. It's it's thanks that moves me to do, um, to act, to feel, to believe. Um, you know, when Jesus tells the parable of the publican and the, the the tax collector and the Pharisee praying in the temple, the Pharisee prays a prayer of thanks. Now, he thanks God. He says, God, thank you that I am not like everybody else. I'm so thank you for making me better than everybody else. That's not true thankfulness because true thankfulness isn't, gee, God, you, you've been so great to me. True thankfulness is seeing what God has provided and then doing what God has called us to do with the things that we've been provided. You know, it's, it's, it's moving. It's, it's um, being aware of the dynamic of what God has provided. And, and look at how many times Paul uses a superlative. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. All right. He says for uh, always in every prayer of mine for you all. He's constantly he's bigger. He's he's expanding his perspective. Um, now uh, uh, Mike Trask said how much he 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 sent me a message about how much he loves Philippians. And because because Paul. Loves this church. Paul really, really likes these people, and and he's writing to be an encouragement. So it's not like Corinthians. In Corinthians, he writes about how he's thankful for some of them, <laughs> but then there are others. There are others he really could live without, you know. And and you know, again, you get the letters in Revelation where where Jesus writes epistles to the churches, and he's saying, you know, there are those of you who have. Been true and faithful, and then there are those of you who have just been awful, or been misled, or or whatever. Here, Paul wants to make sure that the church they understand he is thankful for them in every way, all the time. Um, he is uh, really um, saying, "This is I am thankful for you as a church, as a um, as as a group of people, all of you together." Um, i 'm celebrating you, and he his word for the way that he describes this is that he says he makes his prayers with joy at the end of verse four. always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. and you know what thankfulness, that active gratitude right thankfulness has to be done in a spirit of joy and and joy is not just happiness again joy is is like we've talked about with all these other things joy is an acknowledgement of what god has provided and how what god has provided for us brings me joy i choose joy and and i think that's important that that point there although it's it's kind of out of the scope of the scriptures that we're actually looking at but you you have to choose joy You can't wait for joy to hit you, all right? You can't sit around and go, "Oh, I'm just going to wait until God makes me joyful." You have to choose joy, and you know it's 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 tough when when you go through life and you face all the difficulties and challenges. And I mean, look, you know, I I I I the 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 lock the the I keep calling it the lock up, not the lockdown. Um, but the but this this whole thing that's going on where we're all having to stay at home and work at home and drive each other batty, because as much as we love one another, you know, it's good for us to have space from time to time, you know? Um, And, (laughs) and we're all, we're, you know, we're kind of squeezed together and you have to choose to find joy. You know, sometimes you, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to sit there and go, I am not going to complain about this. I am not going to gripe about this. I'm going to accept this as a blessing from God and I'm going to be thankful for it. I'm going to choose to be joyful about this. Um, And and that's tough when you have to um, choose to be joyful in your expression of thanks to God for something that's difficult. When, When you have to look at the physical problems you might be facing or or the financial issues that you might be challenged with or the spiritual struggles and say, you know, what? as hard as it is, I'm going to choose to be joyful and I'm going to give thanks for this thing, for this moment, for this challenge. It, it's not fun. It's not fun to wake up in the middle of the night in pain and and not say, you know, you, you go through your lament. Ah, I'm miserable. Ouch. I hurt. Oh, this stinks. I really wish this wasn't going on. I'm sure no one has that problem at all. None of us are dealing with that at all. Um, but but then to turn that and say, but but I'm I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be thankful for this. And so did the Philippians have problems? Did the Church of Philippi have issues? It they definitely do. And Paul will address those issues, he'll address the false teachers that are trying to influence them. But he starts with, let's be joyful. Let's let's thank God for what we have. Let's let's celebrate this thing. And what does he celebrate? In verse five, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I think this means that um, the two people we talked about from Acts 16, Lydia and the, Philippine, the Philippian jailer. Who the church was worshiping in their homes in the book of Acts. I think that means that he's got them in focus. He's looking at a lifetime of ministry to those people and those households that were there from the beginning. And he says, look what God has done. Look at the amazing things he has done and the partnership. The Greek word is koinonia. All right. It's koinonia is fellowship, oneness, unity, shared commonality. This thing we have in common. He says we are partners. We are we are in communion in the gospel. From the first day to the last. Um, My wife and I, because we've and and I'm not picking on her or anything like that. She hates when I use her as an illustration. Um, So I'm not using my wife as an illustration. Okay, Um, but. uh, when we first started dating, we've been spent. We, we've been we've been together. We were we were doing the math, and we we've been dating for for 24 years. We we started dating in 1997. So we started dating in 1996, um, and uh, and then we we got you know we went steady or whatever, I don't know what it was. We were we were in a Bible college. Things were nuts. Anyway, we got we got engaged, and then we got married, and and all those things, um, and we were talking about. We're, I was clean, I'm cleaning my basement to, to, uh, to, um, not lose my mind, right? So, so I'm cleaning my basement and I found, um, this folder of all of the notes that we sent to each other in college. So they were in with my school notes, you know, my school books and everything. And, um, they weren't lost, they were filed. Um, but they, but they were, they were in with all of my, all that stuff. And, you know, open those up and, and as, as young, People. I mean, she was 18 when we started dating. I was I was 20. And um and one of the things that that I recall, and it's such a joy for me to go back that that one of the things we just decided very early on, and not that we've done this perfectly, but we just decided that what we would do is that we are our unity, our fellowship, our friendship, and our dating relationship, and our marriage would begin by us giving everything to Christ giving all of our love to him and then allowing him to love the other person through us. And just saying, you know, we're going to just love the Lord and and we're going to love the Lord together. And we believe that God has brought us together. And so, so he's going to help us to love one another. And over the, you know, now two decades, and I know we're still newlyweds to some of you. Um, but, but, um, but, uh, and Doc and Loretto newlyweds to us. Uh, but, but the, uh, All the way all the way through this whole thing, you know, we've been able to when we had trouble or struggles or challenges or difficulties to be able to go back to that and say, yeah, but this isn't about us. This is about Christ. Our partnership is in him. Our partnership is in the gospel. And so that gives us a foundation for joy that fuels Thanksgiving for who we are no matter what we're going through whatever difficulty and this again it's not to brag about how our marriage is perfect and all that stuff but rather to just remind us that when we start with the foundation of a partnership with Christ in Christ then we can always go back to that it it can always be we can always have a foundation that we can take everything down to the bare bones and say but but Christ and then be willing to if we need to rebuild what may have fallen apart or broke or, or it wasn't clear or whatever, we can rebuild that thing on that foundation of Christ. And so when Paul says in verse six, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you um, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this verse gets pulled out of context sometimes and people go, well, God began something with you. He's going to finish it with you. You just have to. Believe. He's actually talking to the church. So so I think that we, we have to take this in the context of what's being said first and then we can draw principles out of it. What Paul starts with is we were in a we're in a partnership. We're in a commonality of the gospel all the way back you know, two two decades ago when, when this chart, church started in Philippi, we decided that was going to be our foundation. And now God is at work. And the church of Philippi is dealing with difficult time. Again, we're dealing with false teachers. We're dealing with issues. So he says what God has started. And Paul doesn't say what I started because he doesn't give credit to himself for the beginning. He's just a participant. He's just a partner. He's just Uh, he's a partner in the gospel with them. He's not the key. He's not the linchpin to the gospel. But when he says, when we go back and we see what the gospel did and what it's doing, and we look at the difficult time that we have now, we can have a confidence that what God did, he's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to perfection. He's going to bring it all the way to the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what he means there when he says the completion at the day of Jesus Christ, really interesting aspect of Paul's theology that, that I'll hopefully be able to expand on this week and, and post some stuff. Paul has this belief that the longer you live and minister, the closer you get to the day of Jesus Christ. Now, he believes that ultimately the day of Jesus Christ is the, the return of Christ to rule and reign. Um, and people ask me, when is that going to happen? And, you know, we all, we all have the prophecy discussions. And, and you guys have all heard this from me. I believe Jesus is coming back. The details are fuzzy. So so I, I'm okay with that. Um, and, but I believe that that, so we, he has that in focus. But he also has in focus, Paul writes, he says, at one point he says, I'm in a straight betwixt two, whether to stay, which is good for you, or to go and be in the presence of the Lord. And I'm paraphrasing him, but Paul's Paul's point is either Jesus is coming back or I'm going to Jesus. And that's when the completion will be. That's when the perfection of what I'm doing and what I'm involved in and what God is doing. That's the end game. That's the end game. Um, And we we know you don't retire from being a Christian. You, You don't stop. You don't stop growing as a believer when you reach a certain age. It's not like Social Security. It's not like you hit 65 and you have achieved, and now you, you know, now just the checks of Jesus stuff come to you. You, you're continually growing. You're continually maturing. Um, the founder of the martial art that I do, um, Morihei Ueshiba, on his deathbed said, "This old man must train." And it, this idea that that you can always get better, you can always improve, you can always do more, you can always serve. And why are we doing that? Not because of an obligation we have, but because we're partners in the gospel from the beginning until the completion of Jesus Christ, uh, of the day of Jesus Christ. I think, and this is my opinion, my my pastoral opinion, I guess, Um, I think there would be a lot less conflict in the church, big C, if we took this lesson to heart. And and as followers of Christ in various churches, denominations, flavors, sizes, shapes, and all of those things, if we took this idea that we are partners in the gospel because of Christ, um, and and I, I don't, I, I'm I'm not trying to to be critical, but but this this crisis, this COVID nineteen thing, has done a couple of things in the Church of Christ. And I'm used big C, not, not Bedford Road, but the Church of Christ. We've discovered as a church just how much, and I want to be kind, just how much we waste on our own legacies. Because the churches that had the big whiz bang and the hoopla and the, and the, suddenly that's gone. And they're discovering, and, and I know this because I get all these messages and stuff from organizations. They're discovering that when people come to church for hoopla and whizbang, guess what they don't do when you're watching church on Zoom? You don't give, you don't attend regularly, because you're paying for the hoopla. You're you're paying for the party. We what am I getting out of this if I'm if I'm watching a TV monitor, a monitor on my computer, what am I getting out of this? This isn't the, you know, I I but I but I'll pay if I if I can go to church. And people are discovering, oh wow, people. We thought that people were, were, you know, were doing one thing and they're actually kind of thinking a different way. They're kind of thinking like consumers. And I'm really interested to see how the church evolves again. Big C at the end of this, because will we go back to the old routine? Will the church continue? Will the the church growth publications still continue to push all these business models? And and and, you know, I mean, somebody said I was talking to somebody um, and I posted on Facebook. I got a couple people, including my cousin, upset at me because I said that I said that churches should not be participating in the uh, Paycheck Protection Act from the government. I I, you know, I was like, look, and you guys know me. I'm total separation of church and state. I just I just don't believe the government has anything to do with the church. The church had nothing to do with government. We're not a we're, we're a kingdom to ourselves. Um, a kingdom to Christ, actually, not to ourselves. But um, and somebody said to me, they said to me, well, you know, but but churches, a lot of churches, they operate, you know, um, they, they just operate from week to week. How are they going to pay their staff? How are they going to do this? I, and, and I know I'm cold and cynical at points, um, but I said, don't you think you should have planned for that? Isn't it isn't it just as biblical to plan and budget and be wise stewards of what God trust entrusts you? You know, do we need to spend all the money that we spend? And I think it's going to be a really interesting transition. Again, we the Big C Church, not Bedford Road. Um, it's going to be a really interesting look at the church as we have to recover from this. And there are a lot of churches, a lot of congregations in the world that literally can't Operate, they spend every cent that comes in on things and stuff and staff and, and, and they run debt. They run debt margins on the idea of cash flow. Those of you that are in business, you know what cash flow is. Money comes in, money goes out. And they operate on the idea of, well, there'll always be more money. There'll always be more money coming in. So we spend money anticipating that that money will come in. And you got to ask yourself whether that's biblical, but we won't get into that debate. Um, but what Paul says, and the argument that Paul makes is, really, if we're going to deal with issues in the church, if we're going to deal with a worldwide plague, if we're going to deal with this, what is the foundation of who we are as a church? And he digs it down. He says, we are partners in the gospel from the beginning to the completion of Christ. And so whatever God is doing, we can go back to Him and we can trust in Him. Did we know? uh, And the elders will tell you we did not know that we were going to get hit with um, two months plus of doing church on on Zoom, all right? Of people not being in the building. And guys, this building is so empty. (laughs) It's so empty. And and I find myself. Uh, we had the security cameras installed and I'll actually pull the app up on my phone just to see if a car pulled in. You know, but I just, I'm just, I'm like, did anybody show up? Um, and Tom, Tom Hathcote needed a place to work on Friday just to, to work from home. And I said, well, work downstairs just to have another human being in the room in the building to yell to, you know, Hey, how are you doing? You want lunch? You know, kind of, a, it was just like, just to, just to have something going on that wasn't, being in my house or taking my dog for a walk you know it was it's it's going to be great to be back together. did we know this was going to happen no but the elders will tell you we sat and i constantly said we have to have a reserve we have to have a cash reserve we have to what happens if everything falls apart because you know this if the 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 COVID thing breaks tomorrow right if suddenly there's a miraculous cure And everybody they just spray from helicopters and vaccinate us all. Right? Even if that happens, there are what 20, 30, 40 million unemployed people in the country now. The 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 medical the medical profession has been destroyed by 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 this. I mean, it's gonna take a long time for them to recover. I mean, you know, retail. We're going to see all kinds of major retail uh, outlets that that are we're barely holding on to the thread are going to be gone. They're going to be unemployed people everywhere. And it's going to affect us as a church for a long time. And so we as a church, we had we planned not for this, but we planned for something. Why? Because we want to be together as partners in the gospel from now until the completion of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just throw this out. That is in no way, shape or form a plea for money. (laughs) <laughs> just in case anybody's worried about it you guys have been unbelievable during this um, you can look at the email and see we have met our budget we have we have another surplus we're gonna be able to put money into the building fund yeah, it, it's it's extraordinary the way that you guys have done this we were able to we were able to pay for the security cameras to be installed which we were gonna do next year we just paid for it just we're, we had a surplus to be able to cover it and have the building set up I mean it, it is you guys have been amazing. you continue to be amazing and I and I if I can say this without bragging about you guys, I think it's because ultimately when it comes down to it, this is what we've tried to be. We've tried to be partners in the gospel from the first day until the completion. We're in it. To do what God has called us to do as long as we can, as strong as we can. Um, I wish I could come up with a third word to rhyme with that because it would have been cool. But um, we just, you guys have done amazing things um, in this time and continue to do it and continue to show up. And there are a hundred of you on Zoom right now being a part of this worship service, which is extraordinary. Um, there's 50 devices. I went through and did attendance, over a hundred people have gathered together with us, especially if we include the Gilmans at Lake Um So, uh, but we, you know, we uh, thank you so much for being partners in the gospel.